announcements for 2024 as they get their slide, that slide ready. We're so excited to tell you all the things that God did in 2023 and what we are, our goals and what we are expecting for 2024. Amen? So this is our year-end review. Everybody say, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Let's do that again. Y'all sleeping. So everybody say, whoop, whoop. Yeah, that's what's up. All right, 2023, year-end review. And go. Okay, highlights. Okay, we've got a hundred. We've had 142 disciples this year. We had 13 people baptized. We had five new deacons added to our number. Woo! And we had 180 average in both services. Amen. How awesome is that? God is doing it. We have 16 life groups. How cool is that? We have 16 life groups. Our monthly average is 245 people visiting our life groups. This is so good. God is doing it. We have 30 students in Legacy Ministry College. Whoop! $412,000 in tithes and offerings. $27,000 for missions and $16,000 for our building fund. That is amazing. And we got to give away, okay, get this, we got to give away $67,000 to local and abroad missions. Over 260 people attended at Lollapalooza and 30 babies have been saved due to us going out week after week because God is so good. So, right, if you've got goals, what are you supposed to do? Write them down and tell somebody. Write them down and tell somebody. So we wrote it down and we telling you. This is our goal. We want 200 disciples, people in 101 and 201, and we want to have 75 elders and deacons. We want to see this church blow up so we can do more for Jesus. So we want to see 300 total in both services, and we want to have 25 life groups with an average of 350 people in attendance. You think we can do it? Think God can do it? It's not really about us. It's about Jesus. Amen? So here's the goal. We want you to write it down. Pray with us that you would and partner with God and what he's doing this year. Amen? This is also a vision of ours. We want our own campus. We want our own giant campus. I don't know. I, I come from Arizona. There are things like this because we got the space out in Arizona, but we can, God can give it to us. Amen? Yeah, 50 of them. 50 of them. Yes, exactly. We want 50 of these. We want to have our own school. How cool is that? We want to have teachers as disciples who raise up. We want to have our own college, the sanctuary with classrooms, a rec center. How, how, many, peop how many youth do you think we could meet, reach if we had our own youth center? That's what I want to see. Community services, right? A gym so people can go work out in the glory. Amen. I want to see it happen. I want to see us have our own pre-K and kindergarten. Amen. 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 Let's leave this up. Let's give it up for Jerry. She did a great job today. A lot to do. Yeah, when we say 100,000, thank you, my brother. So nice. I got the boot off, and now I'm able to limp along without a boot. Uh, when you think about that, somebody do the math. If we have 100,000 disciples in Chicago and 50 churches, how many is that per campus? Somebody do the math. You all looking at me. I know the math. I've already done it. Nope. Nope. Some of y'all guessing. You don't have calculators? 
Should I do a math class right now? I should probably do a math class. Yes, 2,000. You were right. That's what made me laugh because you were the only one that was right now still hearing numbers coming out. That's what made me stop and laugh. The way you would do that math is 100,000 divided by 50, and then you get to 2,000. So that's what we're talking about, brothers and sisters. I looked at Joe B, and I said, do you still believe it, brother? I still believe it. That's what God called us to do, and I want to thank you for your generosity. If you go to the app or the website, you can see a detailed uh, financial breakdown because we want to be transparent with you. That was just the summary. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. I want to talk to you for a few moments today about what God has called us to do to be the church that he's called us to be. So when you think about churches and how we're supposed to be, brother, can you put up the slides for me, please? Thank you. When we think about churches and what we're supposed to do as pastors and leaders, we're always supposed to put first God's kingdom. And every local church is going to have their way of doing things. And if you could go to the, uh, the first page for me, Proverbs 28, uh, 29, 18 will be our scripture. But I want you to think about why we are the way we are. Like, why do you come to this church? What do you get out of this? What are we supposed to be putting into you? I've talked to people who have come from different churches, and I ask them, I say, um, let me know what you're expecting. I want to know. What do you expect us to do as a church? And then I've come to them later on in their journey with us, and I've said, have we lived up to that expectation? Because to me, we have to be able to keep our word as a church to live up to that expectation. So if you haven't been through a sermon series where I've talked to you about the church in a while, uh, this is something that we do maybe once a year. Last year, I don't think I did, so this is going to be good for you if you've never heard it. And for those who have, I want you to really take time to pray about your part in the church, because often Oftentimes, we take for granted what we're supposed to do here, and we don't really understand what makes us unique, what makes this church the kind of church that you would want to be a part of, as opposed to another church. We're not saying we're the only church. We're not saying that. Everybody say he doesn't say that. Amen. For some reason, sometimes that comes out from people's mouth when they hear us be high demand with them, when we put the pressure on them. They'll say things like, you act like you're the only church. No, we don't. Everyone hear this. We do not believe we're the only church, but we believe we're the only one for those that are called here. So this, like everybody get this, my wife is not the only wife in the world. How many know that? But she's my only wife. I am not uh, church hopping as a pastor because this is my church, okay? So you may not feel like yet yeah, this is your church, but you need to pray about whether or not this is your church. So don't date the church forever, get engaged and get married, okay? And we don't do dis uh, membership, we do discipleship. So we don't just want you to sign a piece of paper and say, hey, this is my church, I'm going to start coming. That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is disciples that are committed to the church as a whole. So when you think about Metro Praise International, you have to understand where it came from, what we're doing, and what we're called to. Well, the first thing is that I want you to understand is that we're non-denominational. So what that means, and, and by the way, now non-denominational is like a denomination all by itself because almost everybody's non-denominational. Non-denominational does not mean that we do not have a set of doctrines. What non-denominational means is that we do not have an authority that governs our church outside of the local church. So a denomination is a headquarters, is an agency that oversees other churches. Now the reason why 
why we don't do that is not because we don't have other churches that we agree with their doctrine on. That's actually not the reason why we do it. If you look at our website, and maybe it would be helpful to put that up as well, Rudy, everything I'll be discussing today is in seed form on the website if you go to About Us. And what you'll see there is that our doctrines are actually the same doctrines as the Assemblies of God. So that is a part of my history as a college student and as a church planner in New Orleans, and that was a denomination I was a part of. So I have the same doctrines as the Assemblies of God. That's my belief system, but I'm not in the Assemblies of God. And uh, the reason why I'm not personally in the Assemblies of God is not that there's not great churches there, is that when I was a part of the Assemblies of God, the head leadership was not doing what I felt God called me to do. And then I felt like there was some type of a, like a hypocrisy there. Now, I'm being very careful because I love the Assemblies of God. I think they're probably the best denomination that's out there. So if you're picking denominations, I would still pick the Assemblies of God. But where I personally felt convicted with the Assemblies of God was over their stance on evangelism and discipleship. So I didn't see the Assemblies of God doing evangelism and discipleship in the main offices. So once you have a denomination, a lot of times you have people who will go into the, the leadership and they no longer do the things of the, the gospel. They're like uh, what I call Oompa Loompas. They're basically bureaucrats. So if you just scroll up a little bit and go to our, uh, our doctrines place, beliefs, you can see that we still have the 16 fundamental uh, doctrines of the Assemblies of God. And by the way, the Confession of Faith is there, which you had just uh, recited today. This is theirs. And I didn't have to really rework it because I believe it. Everybody say he believes it. Amen. So why am I not governed by the Assemblies of God? Well, it's because of those two reasons. And also they had a, a history with racism. And you can read about the Memphis miracle and how that happened in 94 where they made some repentive moves and some different things that they did. And so since I was working primarily with the African-American community in um, New Orleans with the Assemblies of God, I didn't see advert or uh, overt racism, outward racism, but I saw like the racism of low expectation, uh, of neglect, and so forth. And so you put that together, it just wasn't something I felt comfortable with. And so I tried to work with other fellowships, and then I just felt like uh, there wasn't something that was really doing what I was doing or wanting to replicate. I have now met others, and people like Raven Team and others, and I am open to having fellowships with different groups and possibly making our own non-denomination denomination, you know, at some point, or just remaining a Metro Praise International the way it is. But that's something about the history, so now you can understand, well, why do we have the assemblies of God doctrines, but we're not with the Assemblies of God. Well, you could say our senior pastor didn't feel comfortable with their senior leadership, with evangelism, discipleship, and in the South, how they were addressing racism. Can I hear an amen to that? Just so you understand where I'm coming from. And there were even great African-American pastors in the Assemblies of God at that time, and they were called and still are to work through those issues. That's their calling, their journey, not mine. So I just wanted to explain that to you. Now, when you, when you uh, look at the church like we have in Dallas, Metro Praise International Dallas, it's the same thing. They are an independent church, but they use our names, they use our doctrines, and they use our books. So what that means is they are in a volunteer relationship with us so that at any time if they wanted to leave us, they can. There's no outside leadership over them. So there is a local church. So now if you look to your scriptures and you try to find a denomination, you won't find one. 
Roman Catholics have tried, Orthodox have tried to prove that they're the right ones, and we see how much of a mess that's become. So now what you basically have is Protestants protesting each other, and you have churches on every corner and block, and churches fighting with each other, and denominations thinking they're better than others, and literally First Baptists and Second Baptists are there because they split and so forth. And what you have to begin to understand is all of that is going to be held accountable on Judgment Day. Okay, so what looks like now something that people get away with, they won't be getting away with on Judgment Day. So like First Baptist, Second Baptist, whatever division happened there, God's going to hold those people accountable to. Tell you a story in my hometown, the Assembly of God Church that was actually there had an issue with their pastor. He committed an affair with the secretary and then went down the road and started a new church. That new church ended up becoming the biggest church of our city. But how many can understand it's not going to last very long? That curse of his adultery and his affair came down onto his children until it crushed the church, and that dynasty died nasty, y'all. <laughs> okay, help you out some preaching-isms there. That dynasty died nasty. And guess who ended up buying that facility? The church that that man had left. So he was with the assemblies, left in an adulterous affair, started another church, grew it to a large church. When it fell apart, the assemblies of God said, we'll go over there and buy that and start using it now for God's glory. Don't tell me God don't know how to do uh, payback and sowing seed and reaping what you sow. God will get you. Amen? So so you better live right, man. You better live right. So I have the fear of God in that. But once again, going to the understanding of denominations and being independent, you have to do so with a reason. So my reason wasn't because I was in adultery or I wanted to live in sin. It was because I wanted a church, by God's grace, that would be locally governed, not looking to others outside of ourselves, but looking to the church. So this church has a board with the members that are here. You can meet them and you can discuss with them. So as we uh, and just go to the homepage of the website, please. If you go here, you can see that this was submitted to them as well as to the elders. So go to the home page. Thank you. Now scroll down, and you'll see it's also on your app. You'll see the uh, report, 2003 report. You went right by it, brother. Please go up. And when you click on it, you can be able to click on our, our expenditures and how every dollar was spent. And we'll just, you know, click on it as now, as right now so you can see it. Uh, brother, you can just keep on scrolling down. You're going to see documents there. Thank you. Click on that. And now you can see the where it says profit and loss. There you go. And, and if you want more details than this, we'll open up the very program for you and let you click around anything you want. We, as a church, will hide nothing from you. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, that's what we do at almost a half a million. We brought in almost half a million this year. We'll do that at 20 million. I'll do that at 100 billion. It doesn't matter to me because what am I hiding? Why, why, the hide, why would I hide anything? Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, we, we're not hiding nothing. I, there's nothing to hide. I don't know why churches don't do this. That's between them and God. They act like they're, they're, they're so big and all this. I'm like, if you're that big, you should have 20 accountants. I just got one accountant that we hire outside of our church. She, she doesn't go to this church. She could if she wanted to, but I make sure that we do everything professional, okay? So you go through and look at that on your own time. If you have any further questions, you're not bothering us. Accountability to me is not a bother. Amen. Now, going back to our, our website, please. When you, when you think about why we're independent, it's not because we don't want accountability. It's actually because we want to be accountable to the people that are in this church. 
So the elders and deacons are the governing authority. Now, what are our doctrines like? They're like a lot of other denominations that are out there. The Assemblies of God, the Church of God in Christ, Church of God. And that was a racist issue of why they split apart, Church of God, Church of God in Christ. And it, it was the white people's fault. Let's just tell you who it is, okay? It was the white people's fault. Blame it on the white guys, okay? And there was a Memphis miracle. You can put that into Google, please. 1994 Memphis miracle where a lot of the white churches came back to the black churches and asked for forgiveness. Forgiveness, but as people have documented throughout the history, they said they were now right, but they didn't act different. And so when I came into the Assemblies of God around 99 and 2000, they weren't acting much different in the South. That's what I mean. Now, there was an overt racism. The Memphis miracle support, supposedly did away with that, and that's when they all got together and the white people basically repented and washed the African-American leaders' feet, actually went down and washed their feet. And they, they should have done that. That was sin because we came from a black man in a, a, a porch with a black house church that became the largest revival still known to mankind with over 500 million people. So how white people became racist after that is beyond me. Stupid is as stupid does. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, so uh, just put a William Seymour there for me, please, so everybody can see the founder of modern-day Pentecostalism. Now, once again, sometimes you'll meet people that have older denominations than this, and they'll say, well, y'all started in the 1900s. We go back to way back when, way back when. Pentecostalism goes back to the Bible. Can I hear amen to that? We're talking about the Bible. But what we're saying is who brought this to us to understand this? That's William J. Seymour. That's your man right there. And uh, what's unique about him, and, and uh, you know, you want to understand his bylaws, I actually got his book, he, you know, so I study pastors, okay? So I got a book that talked about how he did church. You know what he put in his bylaws? This church will always be pastored by a black person. Do you know why he did that? Because of the crazy white people. He had to guard his own church. Isn't that something? I mean, think about that. He had to literally put in his bylaws, only an African-American can pastor this church. So sorry, Latinos as well. Uh, you know, you weren't getting no love either. But the idea was... We're going to guard this because y'all crazy. That's the way I look at it. That's the way i just being honest with you. That's the way I look at it. So there was racism in Pentecostalism. There was. That bothered me when I was a young man. But to be honest with you, it wasn't the only thing because I came in after the Memphis miracle when they all went and repented to these African-American leaders. Obviously, these men had passed. The founders had passed, but they repented to their posterity. Now, why do independent churches have their government the way that they do? Well, every church now has to make their decision. And this is where it can get a little sticky because as the Catholic will say, well, y'all don't have a pope. You got a million popes. Every non-denominational independent church thinks they're the pope. Joe thinks he's the pope. That bishop down there thinks he's a pope. And to that, we say, nope, you're wrong. I don't think I'm a pope. What we do here as local government isn't make decisions on what is doctrine and what is acceptable for the body of Christ. What local government basically does is, in the local church is how we operate here. Everybody say operationally. I can't make a doctrine just because I'm in the pulpit right here. Like, look at me. I'm in a hoodie. Like, if we all just walk down the street right now, nobody is guessing I'm the pastor, first of all, right? Like, if we all just march down here, march for whatever reason, and then we said, we're going to take a group picture, and then we said to somebody passing by, hey, come and stop and take this group picture, and then guess which one of us is the pastor? Probably Joe B. would be guessed to be, uh, maybe be the guest. Maybe this tall, uh, sterling young man right here, he would be, the, you know, somebody other than me, I guarantee you, Tony may be over here, like, uh, 
uh, maybe even Jonathan. Like, you guys are going to be guests to be the pastor. I'm just not assuming that way. I carry an anointing that has to do with my gifts, not my outward appearance. And some of y'all have the gift of fashion. I just don't have it. I've been wearing the same thing since I've been 16 years old. Seriously, man. I wear hoodies. I wear cargo shorts. I wear jeans. I wear comfortable shoes. And that is it. That is me. I see some of y'all changing with the styles. Now perms are in. Everybody see these dudes with these perms? I got that little muffin top, a little carrot top up here. I'm like, y'all brought back in perms. Now they're also wearing aviator glasses, these big old glasses. I mean, crazy stuff, man. Next thing you watch, Janko big baggy jeans are coming back. Everybody remember the big Janko, big Janko? Those, I just, just watched. Though somehow those are going to make their way back. So what we do independently what we do non-denominationally is not make doctrine. We don't assume that. So when people say that y'all are divided, no, we're not. And every true Christian that's a part of a denom denomination or non-denominational should easily be able to say we are of the same body of Christ. So just like there's differences among Catholics, there's going to be difference among Protestants. That's it. And so if you meet Protestants that are actually damning each other to hell, one group saying to another that they're not going to heaven because of some doctrine, that's a cult. Everybody say a cult. See, that's a cult. And actually, that's a very, very, very small group of Protestants. Very small group of Protestants. Every now and then you'll meet a fundamental Baptist, King James only. If you don't have your women wearing skirts, talking King James language, and all of that, you're not going to heaven. Like, those are very few and far and in between. But the vast majority of Christians, whether they're Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, uh, non-denominational, how many know we all believe in the same God, the same main doctrines. We all love each other. Amen. That's why you can listen to Moody Radio. You don't, you don't like have an issue with that, right? You listen to Moody Radio. You listen to K-Love. How many of your friends listen to K-Love? Your co-workers listen to it. They may go to the church down the road. So I just wanted to explain that to you. That's how churches work. That's, that's why we have a 501c3. That's why we're independent. That has to do with our operational level. But how we are doctrinally, we're Pentecostal. And before that, before what we knew as Pentecostalism from the 1900s, we're just disciples of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Now, going to our name, Metro Praise International. Thank you, brother. Going to that, that first slide. When we look at a name, now that we have to be recognized as a local church, how are we going to do this? Well, all the good names are already taken, you know, like Church of God in Christ. That's an awesome name. I want that name because that's literally what the Bible says. Just go to uh, 1 Corinthians. Like, I want a name that comes right out the Bible. How many want a name like that? Amen. So let me, you know, we could we could bite off that name, but we're in a we're in a generation where churches sue each other over over trademarks. How many know that's a sad day? I mean, they suing each other over trademarks, over logos. I'm surprised somebody hasn't come after us with that cross in the middle yet, because that's been used by other churches too. My uh, designer made that, but I'm sure she didn't invent it. You know, she made it her own. She didn't take it from somebody else's. She made it her own, but I'm sure she got the idea from somebody else. But the idea that we have here is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So there's, there's your cool biblical name right there, you know? Like, I wish we could just be called the Church of God in Chicago, or the Church of God in Christ, or the Church of God in His Holy Sanctified People. <laughs> Some long name like that. You know, like you really Christian and sanctified if you have a really long name like that. Okay, so if we can't take all of those names and we want to be unique to others so you can know what church we go to, because I mean, I guess I probably could have called ourselves that and maybe saw if they sued us. I don't know if they really do. Uh, but then you would have to explain yourself. 
Well, you go to the church of God in Christ. Yeah, but it's not with the church of God in Christ. We just call the church of God in Christ. You go to church of God, but it's really not, you know. So just to save that, churches come up with unique names, you know. And then you got all kinds of names coming out now. When I was growing up, names had to do with, like, what we're going to talk about today, like our name. But now people name their churches after, like, Willow Creek. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got a creek with a willow tree next to it. You're Willow Creek. And then you look at a lot of their logos, and then there'll be, like, some little, like, Willow or something, you know, or uh, my friend Stone Creek Church, you know, and there's like a little babbling brook next to the stones over there. I had to put the cross in there. I had to have some spiritual words in there, okay? So it came from Metro Praise International came from Jeremiah. So let's uh, go to that next slide and, and take a look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I believe chapter 23 is where we want to go. Brothers, the next slide, if you could help me out today, I appreciate it. It's, we're just going to stay on the slides. Everything's going to be there, man of God. Appreciate you, man. I wish I had the whole Bible memorized, but we just go away for him to click. There you go. Next slide. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it is Jeremiah 33. There was a three in there somewhere. Somebody pray for me. Amen. Jeremiah 33, verse 9. I always tell people, man, don't get on me about knowing the actual chapter and verse. That's not even inspired. I don't know if you guys knew that, but the verses aren't inspired. The numbers, right? I know it's in there. And the author of Hebrews, remember, he said, somewhere it is said. I'm like him. And that's inspired. So the author of Hebrews, when he quotes scripture, no one ever, they'll say the name. They'll say David said, or, but no one's ever like David said in Psalm 119, the Lord said to my Lord. They don't quote scripture like that. So I'm really, just going to back this up right now, I am really biblical when I quote scripture without telling you the verse where it's at. Just letting you know. So somebody else who says, it's here in this verse and this verse, they're not as scriptural as just saying, Jeremiah said somewhere. Do you get my point? I know I'm going a long way to make myself feel better for having a bad memory. But in honesty, that's how it was. That's how they spoke. Okay, so somewhere in Jeremiah, it says, now we've wrote it down, it's 33.9. Then this city, somebody say this city. This city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. How many are glad you're at a church like that today? All right, so now Jeremiah chapter 39 is talking about us. So if you're not a part of our city, you outside the city with the dogs and you're going to hell. Is that what we mean? No, of course not. We're not saying Jeremiah was specifically talking about Metro Praise International and this one city is right here. And if you're not right here, you're outside going to hell, as the Bible says. No, what we're doing here is we're applying the scripture into our modern day context. And so a lot of times people, they, they look at that and they say, when you, you know, you can't name your church after words found in there. It has to just be Church of God in Christ or something like Baptist, you know, named after that, which by the way, Jesus. Jesus did more than just baptize. When people call themselves Baptists, I always think about John the Baptist. Are you listening to me? Jesus was more than a baptizer. Jesus was also our Savior. Jesus was also our Lamb. And they just pick out one thing, Baptist. How many know what I'm talking about? So we could mess with them a little bit. But, but here's the thing. that all of, us is not, all of us do the same thing, so it's not important. One is not better than the other. When we as Christians now gather together and want to be known, individually throughout the city or the place that we're at, we can choose names that reflect what God called us to do. So if you look here, you see the word city, you see the word praise, you see the word nations. Now, if you put that in the vernacular, that sounds kind of cool, Metro Praise International. It could be city praise nations. You listening to me? But Metro Praise, we praise in his name, come on. 
Come on. Whoa, whoa. Metro praise we praise in his name. Come on. Come on. To the nations. Nations. To the nations. To the na- all right, all right. Come on, man. Uh, so we got, a, we got a theme song. I don't know if you guys knew that. I didn't just make that up right now. That's been a theme song since when I, when I was back in New Orleans. And I used to have people clapping and doing it. Metro, praise we, praise his name, come on. And then I tried to convince people we weren't in the cult as we sung our song about our church name. You know what I'm saying? I'm half kidding there. Like, they in a cult, man. They sing songs about their church. They got banners about their church. They tell their vision about their church. They think this about their church. You know, I've heard this stuff from people from way back. And let me just say this. You see this black on white right here? I was ministering to a Muslim, and he said to me, because he leans towards the terrorist side, and I was ministering to him. How many know we got to minister to terrorists? And he said, I like your banners. They remind me of ours. Put up the ISIS banner. How many have seen the ISIS banner, black and white, right? Well, before I got all offended by that, something stuck out to me. I go, you know what? There's got to be something with this. Number one, when you see black and white, that means there's no gray area. Come on, there's no gray area. Now, they're saying the wrong thing, but how many know you see them rolling in with that black and white flag? You ain't missing what they're saying because number two, it sure is clear. How many can read that? I said, how many can, I'm not saying can you understand it. I'm saying can you read it. I mean, you can look at it, you get it. How many know that's clear? How many know if you saw somebody walking down with that flag, you would know what they were about? All right. And then the third thing is there's no confusion. You either get on or you get off. So I'm, I kind of appreciated that, but I've always liked simplicity. So that's why we chose those colors, black and white. I, I still think we could have the rainbow, but we'd have to be explaining that all the time. Amen. Rainbows for judgment in God's covenant, man, not for what you're thinking. We ain't doing some same-sex marriage up in here. But I mean, if we had the rainbow as our colors, we'd always be having to answer those calls. Hello, this is Bob. Can I marry Steve and do all of this? And I'm like, no, but we're going to get you saved. We're going to get you saved, but we could, we could claim the rainbow, but I like the black and white. I like how clear it is. I like how there's no gray area, and you understand it. So that's why we choose that. So going back to this city, I think Metro's kind of cool. That's why I was going on that. I wish I could have heard an angel say it, but it was just kind of cool. And then praise, you got to keep praising there. And then international, you know. Nations is cool, too. I like it. There's a great church in Orlando called All Nations. It's the Reinhard Bonnke Kalinda Church out there. It's amazing. You could go by nations. I have a lot of church, uh, friends that have churches named after that. But that was the idea. And people who have met us throughout the years, maybe you've even heard it, people have said, what is a metro praise? What is that? You know, sometimes I'm at a bank and they're like, is this a, a gospel recording studio or music group? What are you guys a part of? I don't know if anybody's ever heard that, but uh, most people never knew what it is because we don't even put church in the name. As a matter of fact, do, do we have church over our stage? I mean, over our, our sign over here? Yeah, because it's not up there. I think, somebody go check, see if it is. Because I I can't remember, but there was like a discussion. We almost last, lost half the church over that. No, I'm kidding. But it was like, should we even put the name church up there? And I think we did. And I think it cost us a whole bunch of more money. Or it had, nobody even knows. I'm looking at Grisada. Does it have it? You don't know. <laughs> All I know is that I believe we priced out putting the word church at the end too. Did we put church? It is there. Yeah, that cost us a lot of extra money. It is there, right? That's what I thought, because they won out. I was, you know, we were having that discussion. Man, do we put church at them? They're not going to know what it is. And I'm like, they'll know what it is. They'll have a cross there. They'll understand. And then they were like, no, pastor, let's put the word church there. 
So I'm like, how much extra for church? And I think it was like a thousand extra dollars, but C H U R C H. But that's actually not even our official name. Our official name is not Metro Praise International Church. That's why uh, I, I just put it like that, because that's our name. Everybody say, that's the name. But what is that name representing? That name is representing a church that's standing for the city of God. So here's the deal. Jesus Christ is coming to earth. He's coming to establish a kingdom. In that kingdom will be a central city, New Jerusalem. From New Jerusalem, he will rule and reign, and all of these wonderful things will happen. Until then, we as the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3.16, can represent that city in Chicago, in the nation's Metro Praise International Church. If you believe we can do this, can you say amen? Amen. Now let's go to those first scriptures that I have. Now that you know about a little bit about your church, once again, it's all on the website. You can go more into depth. But I want to give you some things to think about this year going forward because it's really not just about us as a church. It's about our lives in the church and what we accomplish. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, Without vision people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. How many happy people do I have here today keeping the law of God? I mean, you all don't wish that you could commit adultery, do you? Oh, man, I can't commit adultery. I'm so unhappy. I wish I could covet. Does anybody wish they could break the law of God? Honestly, even people breaking the law of God foolishly as they do know that it's not good for them. They know in the long run adultery is not good. That's, that's why you can just ask them, if it's so good, you want your daughter to do it or a man to do it to your daughter? And then they'll understand how quickly they don't really like it. Come on. You want somebody to do that to your mom? You want someone to covet what your mom has and take it from her, steal or lie? Come on now. Even the people doing it, knowing in their conscience it's wrong. So the Bible says that you got to be happy keeping God's law, that there should be a joy because your heart's been changed. And then what it says is that you have a vision, and you won't perish, and you'll be prosperous. But if you don't have a vision, you will perish. I can't uh, you know, tell you right now where that change happened in my life, but it was after I got saved that I understood how important a vision was. Somewhere between Bible college and getting some C's and D's to getting A's, I realized, like, I just can't claim I'm a Christian and just think that God's going to send angels to fix everything in my life, I've got to start having vision. I don't know about you, but you better start having that right now or you're going to run into some problems. How many have already started putting some vision in their life? Amen. How many have realized, even as a Christian, if you don't have vision, you're going to have a lot more problems? You know, the Bible says he sends his rain on the, uh, the just and the unjust. That means the principle of seed time and harvest works the same for everybody. So if there is a non-Christian farmer and he believes that he can plant a seed, reap a harvest, and at the end of the day sell it, he's going to do better than the Christian that just shows up and goes, uh, well, what do we do? I mean, that person may be a Christian and that person may be like all sweet and nice, but if they don't have the vision of a farmer, they will not receive the farmer's blessing. Amen? So now let me ask you a question. What are you believing for this year? Because you got to have vision for what you're believing for. I was writing down this year all the things that I'm believing God for. I put out some financial goals. I started putting out goals for my family. I started putting out goals for the things that I want to do in the ministry with YouTube and Instagram. So keep a lookout for those things. Uh, I started uh, putting out there the goals that I have for writing. And now I'm looking at those goals. Now I have a vision. Now I have a purpose for the next year. If I keep doing the same old, same old, then what am I going to have? The same old, same old. As the old timers used to say, you've got to do what you've never did to get what you've never got. 
And it doesn't matter what age you're at today, you need to have a fresh vision for the year. So what is your vision for 2024? I pray it's for God to do more. But then visions don't just stay in our hearts. they got to get written down. Look at the back of chapter 2, verses 2 and onward. The prophet is speaking as the Lord is giving him the insight. He says, write down the revelation. Write down that vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove to be false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. Do you know that this promise specifically is talking about the Israelites being restored to their land? And yes, they got a little bit of that back coming after the Babylonian captivity. But Brother Joe B., they didn't receive it as they have now until 1946. That means they had to hold on to the vision of the restoration of God's people for over 1,900 years. How long are you going to hold on to your vision? Well, Joe, I've even had people mock me. Joe, you've been putting up 100,000. Look at the church. Man, you don't have no 100 even right now. Look at this. You don't have 200. You don't have three. Every stage of my growth, they've always mocked me. But guess what? I'm going to hold on to God's promises. Maybe you're thinking right now, well, I'm going to start this business, and I'm writing down what I'm going to do, and people may look at it and laugh. But the Bible says somebody's going to pick it up and start running with it. You see, you have to write it down so people can run with it. When I went back to that ISIS example, what are they doing with that flag, man? They are running with it, aren't they? They're still in this, in this war today with, with you know, Hamas and Israel and throughout the Middle East, Islamic terrorists. As a matter of fact, right now, God have mercy, pray for Nigeria. Over 100 Christians died at the hands of Islamic terrorists just this past weekend. Open door. Keep up with them. We're supporting them. That's why I wear the bracelet to remind us. Look at their website. Look at their Instagram. I'm praying for these. Why? Because those people have made it so clear to kill the infidel, kill the Christians, that people are doing it every day. But what are we doing? We're not bringing death. We're bringing life. We need people to believe it, to run with it. And so that's what I'm doing today. I'm, I'm writing down my vision. Here it's been since day one. This was day one in my house on Pulaski and Addison. God, what do you want me to do as a pastor? And I felt the Lord speak this to me. I will hand this baton off to somebody at the end of my life. And whether we've accomplished it, and God said, that's just the introduction. Let's go for a quarter million now. Or if I only have three people, I'm handing this off to somebody. And they can run with it, or they can set it on fire and do whatever they want with it. But I'm going to heaven knowing that I ran with the vision God gave me. Amen? And that's the kind of determination we need to have because if we're waiting for somebody else to do it for us, it will never happen. I like what one motivational video said, nobody is coming. It's just you. Make it happen, Captain. That's it. Nobody's coming to your bank account today. Nobody's dropping in mystery money. Okay? I do believe in miracles and things like that, but the chances of you pulling up a fish and having a gold coin in it are very few and far and in between. What's going to happen this year is you are either going to get a job that gets a promotion or somebody else will get that, and then they're going to have what you should have. You have to make that decision up. Today, I am not going to let the devil win. I remember my youth pastor telling me this before I backslid as he was starting to fill up the church with young people. And uh, we started getting really excited, man, because I had never been a part of a youth group that big. It was like two or 300 people. And he said, listen to me. Don't you go around to these other churches bragging about the size of our youth group because that's not our competition as other churches. The competition is the world and the Backstreet Boys concerts and all of these things that have tens and tens of thousands. That's what we're competing with. And we're not going to stop until we get all these young people people one to the Lord. 
And that's why we have up here 100,000 because we're not competing with the church down the road that has 1,000 or is a mega mess, I mean a mega church. We're not competing with them. We're competing with a city that's on its way to hell unless God spares their lives. We're talking about going to Lollapalooza and there being over a million people out there and throughout all of that crowd, I could probably count on one hand the amount of Christians that I met out of that whole generation. How many preached out there know what I'm talking about? After we went and preached all throughout Lollapalooza, I only met a handful of Christians. And even then, we were like, really? Really, bro? <laughs> Are you really a Christian? How many sometimes you hear a testimony like that out there? You just don't know if you can believe them. I remember one time with Juan. Juan kept being all up in this guy's business. And I was like, dude, I think he's a Christian. And then he was just like, I'm not sure he is. And Juan kept hitting him hard. So Juan and I have this inside joke of me being the guy that was like, hey, dude, I think he's a Christian. We can move on. Because Juan was like, if you go into that concert hall, you are going to hell. And I was like, bro, there's actually some good bands in there right now. <laughs> I'm like, I probably would go in there if I could, if I wasn't convicted by all the other stuff. And that's what he's like. That's what he meant. He's like, well, there's other stuff there. So God, God had us to work that out and just be friends. And, and then it's so funny because now when I mention it, he's like, that's not what I meant. I just meant this. So you got to bring that up to him. But brothers and sisters, think about it. A million young people on the streets of Chicago, and I only met five that were kind of Christians. Don't you think we have some work to do? 100,000 is just a drop in the bucket in this city. Whenever I go to the west side or to a high school or go downtown or Belmont and Clark, I never have to fight with Christians for parking or for a block or for where my sound system is going to go. And all of these places that we go, we're either one of the only ones or the only ones. When we're talking about the high schools, the largest Christian club movement, Joe B., you know him as well, he said to us, out of all the churches, you're the one that I know that's in the most high schools with clubs. Look at this. This church here is the one that's in the most high school with clubs. Yeah, because out of the 30 or 40, 50 young people that we have, we preach to them to go start clubs. So I said to him, what are these other pastors doing? And then this is what he said to me. Youth pastors, by the way, youth pastors getting paid full time to take care of youth. I said, what are they doing? He said, they're just having their services and their programs. He said, so what I do, this is what this man gets paid to do. This guy who runs the after-school programs, he said, I get paid to ask them to come speak to our gatherings so they can get a heart for the school clubs. Come on, somebody. Don't you think they would already have a heart for the school clubs? And I'm not trying to brag or boast, but when I had showed up the day that he had brought me here, uh, brought me there, he was like, oh, thank God, I'm ready for you now because the last guy, and I'm not trying to make him feel bad for telling me that because he's got to confess to somebody what he's going through. I feel bad for him. But he was like, I don't think the last guy even wanted him to get saved because he didn't even mention anything to them. So could you imagine a youth pastor coming to a high school club on a public school campus and not even preaching the gospel? How far do you have to be from the call of what God called you to be? I mean, you don't even have a vision, let alone writing it down, trying to bring it to pass. God have mercy. It's not, everybody, let me just tell you this right now, because I've had people say, it's not like we need another church. We have churches on every block. I mean, you got buildings calling themselves churches, but they're not a real church. I'm just being honest. We don't have a church problem. We have a backslidden problem. Because y'all better be careful about the way you talk about the church. Because you're talking about Jesus' wife. If you would talk about my wife the way you talk about the church, you and I would have a problem. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand there's true church hurt. There are pastors who have sinned, and we will call them out. And that's the right thing to do. But there's a difference between church hurt and butt hurt. 
That's when people get their feelings hurt, and then they make it personal, and then they start attacking, and it isn't a sin issue. It's a matter of their differences and their pettiness, and that's what the Bible says, man, don't touch the Lord's anointed. But we don't have a church problem in the sense of the gospel coming into the church or too many churches. We have too many people calling themselves churches and not doing the work. Now let's go to the third point, Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the dreamer lead to profit. Is that what it says? The plans of those who go to church lead to profit. The plans of those who just pray all day lead to profit. What does it say? The plans of the what? Diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. How many want to be blessed this year? Well, get up and go to work. Amen. If a man don't work, he don't eat. So if you don't apply this to your life, how am I going to expect you to apply this to the church? My dad came out of the business world into the church, and this is the way I'll summarize what he said. He didn't say it as sassy as I'm about ready to say it, but he said it something like this. There's a bunch of nobodies trying to be somebodies in the church because they don't have anything in the world to be proud of. So now they come to the church, now they want to be known, now they want to be a singer because they couldn't sing in a bar, they couldn't make it on American Idol, so now they want to be up here. They couldn't be a leader on their job, so now they want to be a leader here. My dad said, I was a leader, I am a leader in the world, I came here to serve. I came here to serve. And so the idea is, man, if you want to be successful in the church as a leader, show us that you know how to do it out there as well. That's why the Bible says, pick these faithful men who know God and who are reliable. When Jesus went out, and listen, I love homeless ministry, and I love taking care of the poor, but when Jesus went out to make disciples, he didn't go to get homeless one-eyed Willie saying, can you help me today? He went and picked hardworking fishermen. Have you ever met fishermen before? They get up early and stay late, man. I've been around them. I'm telling you one thing. They are some rugged individuals. There's been many a time I've been on a fishing pier and been a little bit scared, okay? I'm just being honest with you, especially where I used to fish in New Orleans and all throughout the, the country out there, man. The lights go out. You like to fish at night. It gets a little scary with some of those fishermen. It was funny because one of my friends, he thought he was funny. He thought he was a funny guy. So he was out there. And if you all remember the Swamp People show, there was a show that was about shooting and cap, uh, getting alligators and shooting them. Well, at one point, whenever this one guy would get an alligator, he would go, shoot him, shoot him. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Okay, I'll keep going in the story. So this Cajun guy would say, shoot him, shoot him. My friend thought that would be funny because he was visiting New Orleans. He wasn't used to the people. So he, every time they would catch a fish, he would go, shoot him, shoot him. What do you think one of these Cajun guys did after a while? He's like, boy, I'm about ready to beat you and throw you off this thing if you don't shut the blankety-blank up. I just took two steps away from my friend, and I'm just like, that's on you, dude. Seriously, that friend has gotten me in many fights before we grew up in church. He's a Christian like me now, but, man, that dude used to get me in fights all the time. This time I just kind of stepped back. I go, bro, I told you not to mess with these fishermen, man. But he thought it was funny, you know. The idea that Jesus went out to the disciples shows us he went after rugged men. Hard-working men, people raising their family's business, a tax collector. Though he was a cheat, he was a, a, you know, a hard-working cheat. How many know there's a lot of cheating people out there that work hard for their hustle? So he went after people that had a hustle. He went after people that had a work ethic. The, the, uh, the homeless, the crippled, man, they were going to get reached, right? But he didn't start with the beggars. He started with the workers. Notice that, brothers and sisters. He started with the workers. He started with people with responsibilities. Because if you give the lazy one thing to do, they'll never get it done. You give the man that's got 10 things to do, one more thing to do, they'll get it done. Why? Because the person in motion stays in motion. 
That's why I realized that early on as a pastor, if I would find this one young adult, you know, like if, like if I look across this congregation, I'm going to pick out somebody to help me do something. I would pick out the young adult that's been passing gas, drinking Mountain Dew all night, staying at home with their parents, you know, because I'm like, dude, you ain't got nothing to do. Come help me do something at the church. That person wouldn't pick up their phone, wouldn't come in on time. So I said, forget that. I'm going to call the dad with three kids working two jobs. That guy says, I'm going to be there at 515. He's there. He put the thing together. He did the thing. I'm telling you, man, I've watched those men outperform the lazy every single time. I'm not saying you burn people out, but you give responsible people something to do and they'll get the job done. You give the lazy something to do, they'll never get it done. The Bible says he's looking for diligent people. So let's put these three things together. Number one, get a vision. Number two, write it down. Number three, make plans and be diligent. You all learn something right now? And that's not just about the church. That's about your life. I'll go to any person right now and follow you to your job tomorrow and ask them if that's what they want from you. Tell me anybody here that has to go to a job tomorrow where they don't want you to have a vision for your success. Tell me any student going to a school tomorrow where your professor doesn't want you to have a vision for your success. Show me any job tomorrow, any student, uh, any class tomorrow that doesn't want you to write down what you are going to do in that job, that company, or that school. Show me one. There is not one that I can think of. Every job has a job description. Every job has a job expectation. Can I hear an amen to that? And then lastly, who are the ones going to get rewarded? Those who work hard. Now, if you're a part of a company where they're rewarding, uh, you know, thieving and stealing and lying, man, find another company in Jesus' name. Amen? But how many know even Apple will reward you if you do this? How many know that T-Mobile across the street will reward you if you do this? Why? Because everybody's looking for the same kind of people. This is what God defined as success, those who have vision, those who are able to write it down and explain what they're going to do, and then those who every day go out and make it happen. Well, when we come to the church, now ask yourself this question. You're thinking about your finances, thinking about your family. Well, what are you writing down for the church? What are you praying for in the church? If you don't believe today you're going to be a Bible study leader, then you'll never be one. You're just going to let somebody else keep doing it. What about you and the youth group? Are you guys going to win people to the Lord? Or are you guys just going to keep coming whenever it's convenient? you got to go out and win people to the Lord. Or what about those of you who are a little bit older, going, oh, I'm just a little bit older, Pastor. Well, what are you going to do? How about you reach your friends at the nursing home? Amen? Just teasing the older people here today. Or the assisted living like my dad. Seriously, my dad, my dad's not in assisted living. My dad's in the Dell Webb retirement community. You know what he does? He reaches his neighbors for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, God is asking us to do this. Now, this is what you have to now understand. We are a church that's going to expect this of you. Let's go to that next slide, please. Look at your neighbor and say, this is the message. That was just the introduction. You all ready for the message? Would it help if I had the keyboardist come back up? Are you all ready? Okay. Because this is what now makes Metro Praise unique and why we get called a cult on Google reviews is because everything we just talked about is what we're actually going to do. One of our young people uh, became an older person, but he was one as a young person, uh, Jared. And what he realized was as he went from our discipleship to start working at Teen Challenge and uh, working as well at SUM and other Bible colleges and so forth, is he began to realize, hold on, hold on. There's a difference between my church and a lot of these other pastors that I'm meeting. You see, my church talks about discipleship and actually does it. But I meet a lot of pastors who talk about it, but they don't do it. Come on. He said, I talk to a lot of pastors. They say they do evangelism, that they love evangelism, but they don't do it. He said, y'all talk about it, and you do it. You got to talk the talk and walk the walk. So now let me just be very honest with you here. This, this is not to scare you off, but it's have you to count the cost. Do you want to be a part of a high-demand church? Because there are low-demand churches you can be a part of. 
So let me give you a few examples of what I mean by high-demand church. In a high-demand church, and it doesn't matter how big we get, so don't just think, well, it's because you guys are a little bit smaller than that church down the road. No, no, it doesn't matter. The churches that I follow have hundreds of thousands of members. They're overseas, and they're high-demand even with that many members, okay? Everybody get this. A high-demand church is going to expect every believer to be a leader. A low-demand church will allow a believer to be a consumer. And so you'll know the difference by walking through the door. If you walk through the door and everything is about you, the service is about you, the time is about you, and everything that they're going to offer is about you, what they have just treated you as is a consumer. Now, they may over time let you be a part of the big show. They may let you on the stage. If you look good enough, you meet their image. Or they may be uh, able to let you be a leader one day because they always need a little bit of that. But most of the time, it's going to be a click, a closed door. But here's going to be their motivation. Their motivation is to keep you on that pew and to keep you entertained because by doing that, they get to build their machine. That is a consumer church. They want you as a customer, and that's why they'll charge you as much as they can and juice as much out as they can from you. I was making juice the other day, and my kids were so impressed because we didn't have the big oranges. We just had the little ones. Those were called cuties, I think. And I was just squeezing those little things. I was squeezing them and squeezing them. And then before you know it, I had some freshly squeezed orange juice, and my kids were like, I'm surprised all of that came out. Well, yeah, because I kept squeezing that out of them. And that's how those churches will look at those people. They're going to look at you and say, we're going to charge you this for the conference. We're going to charge you this for the, for the evangelism training. We're going to charge you this for the Bible study. We're going to charge you this for the marriage counseling. We're going to charge you this for the family seminar. We're going to charge you, charge you, charge you. We're going to just juice you because you are a dollar bill in their mind. That is popular today. That is my, my, I'm telling you, that is my greatest competition when it comes to how the devil wants us to be. Because that worldly church makes us feel like we're not doing enough. Because I'm not juicing you every five seconds. I'm not pumping you up, bringing in a guest speaker. And let me tell you why they do guest speakers like that. And they tried to bring me on that. It's because they all get paid that way. My friend wanted me on that, and I told him, I said, I can't do that with you because if I let him come to my church and the next one comes to my church and I go to his church, you got to understand we collect then two salaries. We collect our salary, and then we collect a payment every time we go to that church, and that's a whole other source of income. Now, I'm not saying if you're a traveling preacher, you're always doing it for the money because we need to provide for God's people. But there's a reason why those pastors keep going to each other's churches and they always peddle it for each other. When each one comes up, they introduce them the same way. They take up the offerings the same. Well, the man of God has come here and we got to bless him for his time and his travels and all that. Because that's what they say about him when he goes to the next place. And they actually have found out and they've exposed that they're in networks together that some of them had to pay to get into. In other words, if you wanted to be in the network with the Hillsong guys, you had to pay their network to then be allowed to come to their churches. They, they exposed it on that documentary. They had a network. That's why you saw the same ones at the same conferences. They were all going to each other's churches collecting five to $10,000 per hit and they do it what? Come on, there's 52 weeks in a year. Well, you, you do it just 20 weeks. Man, that's, that's another what? $40,000, $50,000, depending on what you're getting. Then you just keep going and going, and then you do your own thing, your own conferences. You charge them to come back through the doors. Brothers and sisters, I'm not here to, to, to tell you that we're the only ones doing it right. We're not, okay? Everybody say, he says that. I taught you that. Come on, I'm not making this. I'm not trying to be like, we're the only ones. Nobody else like us. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, for those who are called here, we're the only ones for you. Just like I have my wife, and there's many wives, but that's my wife. Amen. I'm pointing to where you're at, TJ, because that's where she was sitting in first service, okay? <laughs> This is, this is my wife. No, 
Now we got a different kind of church here. I'm just pointing right here. Yeah, I know, brother, because she was sitting right there. Okay. So now it's just, okay, well, understand this. High demand does not mean we get to burn out your life. High demand does not mean we take advantage of you. You are your own person. You can say no. You're an adult. How many adults are here? Come on. Can you say the word no with me? No. See how easy that is? Say no. One more time. No. So you can say it. Everybody can say the word no. You can always do as the old timers did, tip, and make your way out, okay? There are no locked doors here. You're always able to go. And we also bless you to go. So in other words, it's not that if you ever leave, we're going to treat you like we don't love you. There are many people who were a part of this church and then went to another church. And then I let that be between them and God. I'll be honest with you, in my experience, and I think I can talk to many of the leaders, they would testify to this, that most who leave here go to low-demand churches. How many know what I'm talking about? Like you just track with them. Think about your friends. They're at low-demand churches. And there's a reason for that, right? Because they can be entertained and they don't have any expectation. Maybe one more quick story. I was out at the volleyball game. I'll be going there after this service. My daughter's in a championship. They're undefeated and they're playing today in the 12 o'clock game and 2 o'clock game. Come on, believe in God for them. And I said to my, I said to my daughter, I said, listen, get all of their names and numbers and let's bring them over to the house throughout the winter and summer because it's only one season because I want you to use this relationship to win them to the Lord. See, I'm teaching my daughter how to use relationships and, and, and to see them uh, flourish the gospel. And we already have some coming from the neighborhoods. You guys have met uh, the sister princess. So, uh, you know, I, I was out at this volleyball game and guess who I saw? I can name the name. Some of you would know, but I saw this brother. I used to be a part of our church, used to do ministry with us. And uh, he was nice and kind and respectful and, and said, hello. And I might've passed by him because I'll be honest, I didn't see him at first. And Joe B, you were there and, and we started fellowshipping. And as the God's honest this truth. I asked him, I said, man and God, are you still at that church? Oh yeah, I am. I said, awesome, man. What are you doing there? Right out of his mouth. I'm security for the pastor. This brother said with a straight face to me, that's what he's doing for the Lord. Now, number one, I don't know why a pastor would need security. Okay. What kind of pastor are you that you need security? Security, that's who I think of, you know, that one sister that has that kind of joke. Security, you know, like what do you need security for? Like if your pastor went to the Bulls game right now, nobody would even know who he is or give a flip about him. But when he comes in his building, security, security. Now, what I'll have is some ministers around me. Joe B will be a minister. Others, when I'm going back and forth, because sometimes somebody might be like, man, I'm a redheaded stepchild. I wet the bed at night. Can you pray for me right now? I'm going to pee myself. And I'll just be like, you know, hold up. I can't do that right now, but this man of God can, okay? People will come to me with the most weirdest requests immediately needing to be fixed right now. So I have ministers. Somebody say ministers. Not security. Somebody say it again. Ministers. Ministers to minister as I go and do the other thing. Okay, so we'll have ministers around our pastors, ministers to stay together because the Bible says he sent them out two by two. So he looked at me, straight face, brother, and said, I run security with the church brothers over there for my pastor. And I go, and? Okay, uh, and what else, brother? Okay, that's pretty amazing. You get to wear the badge. Remember we talked about the nobody's trying to be somebody? Ding, 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 winner, winner. We found one. Okay, so I'm like, and? And he just looks at me, and I go, are you serious? And his wife was right there. I'd never met her, but I knew he had gotten married. And I go, your husband used to go preaching with us. 
He used to preach and share the gospel. He used to be taught how to do that. Has he ever taken you out preaching? Oh, no, we've never done that. And I looked at him. I said, you should go out preaching, man. And then what did he go back to? I'm busy at work. I'm like as if nobody here works, as if nobody who preaches the gospel at any good church works. Come on, saints. We've got to do better. And so, yes, there are low-demand churches and there are high-demand churches, and it may at times feel like your flesh wants you to go to a low-demand church. Just go be the pastor's security and be entertained, and that's good, man. You did your Sunday thing. But that's not what the gospel called us to do. Jesus said, take up, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. So the first thing that I want to ask you if you want to be down with this is are you willing to love God and people with everything inside of you? Because if you don't have that as your foundation, we cannot draw that out of you. I can't draw out of you what you don't have in your prayer time. If you haven't been filled with love for God for people, I can't give it to you when we go out ministering. I can't convince you we need to go to the west side. Then I can't convince you that we need to go to Belmont and Clark. I can't convince you we need to go to the high schools or to the juvenile jails or to Wright College and all the places that we're at, UIC. But if you have the love of God in you, if you have the love of people in you, you know what it's like? It's like at the wedding when somebody's on the dance floor and they want their friend to come out and they throw out that fish hook and the person... They get hooked, and then they reel them in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then the person comes in. You see, it's like a magnet, man. Like you're drawn to what we're doing if you love God and people. As I told you before about the Puerto Rican barber that got offended because we said, if you don't want to go out to Puerto, Puerto Rican Fest with us, this ain't your church. And he goes, well, I'm Puerto Rican, and I love this church. You guys have great worship, but you made me feel guilty if I don't want to go out and preach. I said, well, then you understood me correctly. I do want you to feel guilty. Well, I'm going to leave the church then. And I said, well, then leave, bro. Like, I ain't here to make you feel good about being backslidden. You understand? Think about that. He can be a barber in the neighborhood, but he can't step outside the barbershop to preach? And then you want to call yourself a part of this church? Man, you go somewhere else, and we ain't calling you one of ours. Oh, y'all getting quiet here. Man, oh, come on, somebody. If you want to be a Marine, you better do what a Marine did. If, if you want to be anything in this world, I, you know what I should do? I, I didn't think of it then, but I'm thinking of it right now. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I should set up a chair right next to his barber shop and call myself a barber then. And just start messing up people's hair, doing whatever I know how to do. <laughs> One time I cut my son's hair, my wife's like, you will never do that again. There's actually a picture of that sweet little boy, but I, I tried. I tried my best, but it didn't work right. But that's what I should do. And then when he comes up to me, and then he goes, hey, man. Are you a barber? Oh, yeah, I'm a barber. Well, do you do what a barber does? Well, this is what I do. That ain't what a barber. This is what I think a barber should do. How many know he wouldn't like that very much? Because he knows the difference between what a real barber is and what a fake barber is. You see, brothers and sisters, we have to love God and people. Not fake, but real. The good Samaritan went out of his way to help somebody. The reason why we love the West Side and have been out there so long, the reason why we love high schools and continue to go out there, the reason why we go out to Boricua Fest and to all these neighborhoods is because we love people. We love to serve. We love to help. Do they use us and abuse us at different times? Absolutely. But I love going out there so generous that even if they try to use and abuse us, we already got that accounted for. So, for example, every now and then, you guys know I'm talking about, we're on Meth Lane over there on Madison and, uh, what is that, uh, Western? Pulaski, Madison Pulaski. Every now and then, you'll see one of those meth addicts try to come back and get their, get, get their second potato chip. And instead of getting all offended, we go, go and take one. You can have it. We brought enough. Because we love you. How many have been out there when we've served the meth addicts? 
because we love them. Same thing with the kids. I figured this out a long time ago. I come out there and I tell them, because we do the shots for, you know, free gift cards with the basketball goal. We bring it out there and then we bring out candy. I know if I brought that candy out there and I said, just take two pieces, that would just make them all thieves and liars. I know that's what would happen. So I go out there and, and, and God is my witness, man. Come on. I get the biggest uh, Tupperware box thing you can get when those storage boxes, we fill the whole thing up. And then what do we tell them? As much as your hand can fit, you can take. And then you know what they do now? They do the exact opposite. They're like, oh, man, you're lying. You're not telling me the truth. And they'll take like one or two. And I'm like, don't you dare take one or two. I want you to take it so it's falling out your hand. And then they go like that. And then I go, that's how much God loves you. That's the grace of Jesus. That's the grace of Jesus running over and fell, falling out their hands, stuffing it into their pocket. Come on, somebody. When you love people, you'll go out of your way for them. You'll serve them. You'll do things that other people would find annoying. You see, ministry can turn annoying very quickly. The moment you go into the real world and you start serving people, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to be happy that you came out there. When we go out to the west side, the drug dealers get upset with us. They start yelling at us. Like I said, some people try to steal our chips. Some people try to steal our chairs. I mean, they try to just steal. They try to take stuff from us. Belmont and Clark, man, how many times have they tried to beat you up, <laughs> try to take you out? Some homosexual is the worst, man. Yeah, man, the, the, let me just tell you this. There is no community more violent to us as Christians than the homosexual white male community. There is, man, I will hang out with Tuan in the hood all day long. I will hang out, I'll hang out with Cousin Flacco, got tattoos from three years in penitentiary. You know what I'm talking about out there, some Latin gangbang. I will hang out with all of them. You get one of these out there that looks kind of like me, they'll start throwing fists, they'll start taking stuff, they'll start grabbing stuff. I'm being honest with you. God have mercy on them. I have, I'm just telling you, this, you know how you love people? Is that I didn't punch this man in the face. I was preaching at Mardi Gras face to face with the guy, and the guy went right down and went underneath me like this. Went right under me and said, what's up, man, what's up? And I, oh, you know, it's everything inside of me. But you know what? I go, hey, man, I forgive you, but don't touch me. Man, you know you love people when you put yourself in that position. That's, that's uh, Mardi Gras. Fat Tuesday, the homosexuals come out. That's when they overtake the whole uh, downtown area. And I remember this man touching me, and I'm thinking to myself, any other time. I'm not trying to say I'm the toughest, right? Like live out my masculine dreams in front of you as a pastor. Well, back in my day. No, I'm just telling you, how many know you don't have to be that masculine to know it's time to fight when a guy touches you there? Like you don't even have to be the toughest of the bunch, right? Like Joe B would fight back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Like my, my, my bro, would he, my even Joe B would say, that's too much. Bro, stop it. But listen, you don't have to go too far to find my wild side. Like you do that, you have definitely found yourself in the danger zone. But I loved them. I forgave them. I've had people spit at me. I've had young people mock us. I've had police officers falsely arrest us or apprehend us or take our stuff, and we didn't even break the law. But why do we go back out? Because we love people. Why do we go back out to the abortion clinics? Because we love people. We don't stop serving because they don't like it. We stay there until Jesus tells us to move on. And sometimes he says, knock the dust off and go to the next place. But we are faithful even unto death, as the Bible says. Amen? This one brother was in Arizona preaching the gospel, took a shot to the head, and just came out of a coma. Let's give it up for Jesus healing him. Amen? 
Now, thank God we have not suffered that here, but that doesn't mean we stop. You know what that church did? And I pray you would do this if it happened to me or anybody here. That church went right back out there and stood on that corner and kept preaching the gospel. Because that corner belongs to Jesus. That doesn't belong to some knucklehead shooting our, our preachers out there. Number two, are you committed to Jesus and his kingdom coming on earth, the church? Go to Matthew 6, please, quickly. Uh, we'll get to number three maybe today. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In 24, asking God for more, sister, we can't do it unless we've blessed his house. Unless we bless his house, how can we ask him to bless our house? If we haven't blessed his business, how are we going to ask him to bless our business? How many know Jesus is about kingdom business? And business is good. Amen? That's why we got to remind ourselves, even sometimes when people don't come to church like we think they should or whatever, look at what God is doing around the world right now. Nations are being one to the Lord, and your friends and family are coming to Jesus as well. We've seen more growth in these last few years than we've ever seen before, and we can't get discouraged. Don't give up because there's a low day in attendance at a life group or a Bible study or an evangelism outreach. We keep going, amen? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think about every place that God puts us as a kingdom opportunity. Our jobs, kingdom opportunities. Our families, kingdom opportunities. Our neighbors, kingdom opportunities. I'm asking my daughter to reach out through the volleyball teams, kingdom opportunities. In other words, brothers and sisters, you're not just here to be your pastor's security. You're here to put your life on the line for Jesus Christ. And what will happen when you do? Things start getting added into your life. The blessings of God start coming. I just heard the story today because I was in church before I even went to church, listening to one of these pastors preaching. Man, I was so encouraged. He was telling the story of Hobby Lobby. Let me give it to you the best way that I can here. From what I understand, he, uh, David Green was brought up in a Christian family. His, his family were ministers. All of his brothers and sisters were ministers. And he was what was considered at that time to be the odd person out. And his mama would always tell him, whatever you do, do it all for God. Do it all for God. And he was like, I'm trying, I'm trying. It's just nothing is working because, you know, starting businesses is not always easy. And eventually, you can hear the story. I think he borrowed like $600, and he started Hobby Lobby. But how he started it was unique from every other business around at that time. He said, I'm going to treat my employees this way as God would want me to treat them. I'm going to pay them above minimum wage. I'm going to give them the best that I can. I'm going to treat my customers better, better than Walmart and just treating them as their cattle coming in to be fed and, you know, be used and abused. And you know what? I'm going to take off Sunday so I can honor the the Lord, and I'm going to start giving back to the church everything that I make. You know how much he's worth right now? $14 billion. He funded many of the Reinhard Bonnke Crusades. I heard that from All Nations Church. David, uh, Daniel Kalinda said that David Green was funding Reinhard Bonnke. Just put up one of those pictures, please, of Reinhard Bonnke. You want to think about where that money was going. Hundreds of millions of dollars being sowed into the kingdom of God. How many would like to be a billionaire for Jesus? Come on. Somebody has to be, right? And I'm not saying if you're not a billionaire, you're not significant. What I'm just saying is think about how great of an example that is. What you do, thank you, just any one of those uh, crowd pictures, think about that. You have a man that said, I'll start selling hobby lobby type stuff so I can fund that. You see, that's what God wants to use to bless us is he wants to give us the resources so it can be a blessing to us to go through us. 
You think about what the world spends their money on. As I've mentioned before, I mean, you, ever, you watch these shows that have those celebrity, you know, bake-offs or whatever show you're watching, and, you know, it's like, well, I'm supporting the, uh, you know, the spray and neuter campaign of South Los Angeles to see all those cats uh, be neutered. You know, remember, like, your guy from Price is Right, he was always like, have your cats sprayed or neutered. You know, when do you ever see one of those people come up and say, I'm playing for Reinhard Bonnke Crusades in Africa? You don't see that, but you know what? That's how it needs to be known because Christians started off charities for this. Now every day, uh, now everybody has a charity, you know? Charity, you know, like I said, to save your dog, save your pet, and then, you know, charities to feed the hungry. We should just feed them the pets. Can I hear an amen to that? If we just, <clears throat> excuse me, if we just fed everybody what we're trying to save in the animal kingdom, everybody would be fed right now. I know it sounds a little gross, but think about how practical that is. We got to raise all of this money to put these dogs somewhere, and yet all these other people are hungry. Just This is not a comedy sketch. I'm just giving you some wisdom right here. If you feed them the dogs, how many know there's not a place anymore you have to worry about where the dogs are at? You don't have to worry about the shelters anymore. And then how many know these people are fed? Let's go back to the notes, please. Would anybody want to start that charity? <laughs> feed the needy your dog charity. If you don't want your dog anymore, give it to us. We'll feed it to the hungry. We'll prepare it in a nice stew. Number three, be faithful to your family, church, and calling. Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4. Let's go here in closing. Lawrence, would you come quickly, please? How many learned something today in church? How many are inspired to do something great? Amen. Then I know I've done my job by God's grace. May we all do it now. Think about this in review. Number one, you need a vision. Number two, write it down. And number three, make diligent plans. And here's how it will reflect in your life. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them down on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. One of the saddest calls that I get from time to time, and I just had one not too long ago, is where a young person that comes to our church and their parents don't, and their parents on the phone very upset saying, my daughter's always in your church, and she's always there, but she's not doing this in school, and she's not doing this at home, and she's not respecting us. That always makes me so discouraged. That hurts my heart. You know why? Because I don't want that parent to think that's what I teach that young person. So we get involved then. We go, oh, hold on, mama. We're sorry about that. We don't teach our young people that. If our young people are at school, I mean at church, they should be doing good at school. And if they're at church, they should be doing good at home. She should be the most well-behaved of your children. And she should be doing great on her job and in her life. But you know what? I also get this in the church as well. I get it from the worship team to my leaders. If somebody goes, oh, you don't know them, I know the real them. When they come home, they're like this, they're like this, and they're like that, and they're not taking care of this, and they're not taking care of this. But yet, when they're on the stage or they're out there serving, oh, they look like they are Mr. or Mrs. Christian leader the way they're supposed to be. That hypocrisy needs to stop. That needs to end in Jesus' name. That's never been acceptable, but I'm seeing it more and more, and I'm saying as the leader of this church, I do not want that in Jesus' name. You need to fix that and ask God to heal you and to mentor you, disciple you, counsel you. Get whatever you need to have that stop immediately. Because what Christianity looks like to your children is the most important audience you will ever have. It is not on this stage, 
brothers and sisters. It is not out there when we do our great ministry outreaches. It is what your children think about your walk with God. It is what your spouses think about your walk with God. It is what your honest neighbors, not the sassy ones who hate you and come against you. I'm just talking about honest neighbors know about you and your character. The co-workers. I remember one uh, landlord came to our church and said, this person in your church uh, invites everybody to their Bible study in their, in their uh, house and all of these things. And I haven't had a problem with that. But now they're not paying their rent. And I knew you were the church and the pastor because they hand the flyer out to everybody and I got people knocking on my door. I went to that brother and I said, is this true? He said, yep, we're not paying the rent. I live there with my mom and she knows that she gets three months before they have to evict us. I said, so you're telling me you're playing the system that's supposed to help people who are in trouble. You're playing that willingly, not paying a rent, so that you can take a three-month vacation there and then leave whenever you want. God is my witness. I said, brother, get out the church. Come back when you've paid the rent. That brother left our church, came back when he paid the rent, and now he's one of our main leaders. If I told you who he was, he might be embarrassed because it's his testimony to tell. But I want you to think about that. How many churches play around with their members? Don't love them enough to tell them the truth. I'm glad that that person came to me. Honestly, how many are happy that landlord came to us? The Bible says, go please quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says that no swindler will enter into the kingdom of God. And yet we got many people in this world swindling. I wish pastors would hold those politicians showing up on their church doors when it's time for election to that same standard. Uh, excuse me, are you sitting in the front row today? Oh, you act like this is your church, huh? Just so everybody of my members can now see. Let me just talk to you for a little bit. You're pro-choice. You're pro-homosexuality. I rebuke every stance you've taken for that stance out there in the name of Jesus. Repent. How many know they would stop coming around? How many know they would stop trying to fleece the people for the votes then? But you know why they let them stay there. When I first became a pastor, you know what other pastors told me? All the free stuff we get to give. I had pastors tell me to go to pastor meetings with the mayor. And when I told them no, they were shocked. I'm being hundred with you. They said, well then, well then, how are you going to get free garbage pickup then? I said, brother, the only thing I want to ask a mayor or an alderman to do is to repent. That's the only thing I want to ask him to do. That's where that one-liner came from, if you've ever heard me preach it. It was to a man of God. I respected this man. And he was telling me, but, but, but how are you going to get free garbage pickup then? Well, let's go meet with the mayor. He's giving away stuff. You wonder. I mean, come on. I've read the book of Kings. I know many of you have. And you wonder how those prophets could be that way. Hang around pastors for a little bit in the 21st century and you'll see it. It kind of makes me laugh, but it's a true story. There's this one uh, king, he's about ready to go to war. So he brings another one of the, he brings the king of Judah with him. So now they got the, the, the two uh, kingdoms of Israel together. And he says, hey man, but before we do this, let's see what your prophets have to say. Let's get some of your prophets out there. And some of these prophets, they come out with all of their extravagant performances. Uh, one even makes, I believe, like a bull's horn and says, like how I'm doing this with this bull horn is how you're going to do the enemy. And it was so over the top that the one king said, this can't be right. <laughs> At least get somebody that knows how to hear from God. How many know the story I'm talking about? 
Get somebody that knows how to hear from God. And they called up this one prophet, and they said, listen, when you come before the king, you just better say what everybody else is saying. And he goes, man, I'm, I don't even know. I don't want to even be here. So he, they put him before the king, and what does he do? He says, yeah, king, you're going to win. You're going to win. Everything's going to be great. And he starts walking off, and then the, and the, the king goes, no, man, I know he's lying to me. I don't know. I don't advise doing that. But the, the one king goes, no, he's lying. Tell me what really is going to happen. And that prophet said, every one of you are going to be destroyed. You're going to be running from every hill. You're going to be knocked down and shamed. And then what do they do with that man? They throw him in a pit. They begin to persecute him. You see, that's what it feels like when you're living for Jesus the right way at times. Everybody's going to be telling your friends. Sometimes I even say to them, well, what did your pastor say? What did that one person say? And then they'll say the most craziest thing. And I'm like, okay, well, don't listen to them. Because <laughs> sometimes I try to pull on Like I'll be out fishing with somebody or I'll be doing ministry somewhere. And they don't go to our church, but I'm becoming friends with them. So I'll say, what did your pastor say? Well, my pastor said, I guess it's okay. We live together until we get married. And I'm like, do not listen to that guy. Let's go back to this thing. I've had people tell me that all the time. Well, you're not like this other one. And I'm like, you should thank God for that. But that's what they're going to do to you, man. They're going to want you to be like everybody else. They're going to want you to do what everybody else does. And this church is not going to be like that. This church is raising up a prophetic voice to this nation. Amen? Go to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 here. It says that you shouldn't even hang out with swindlers. Go up a little bit more for me, please, brother. Look at what it says here. It says, do not even hang out with a drunkard or a swindler. Do not eat with such people. How many know many people couldn't go out their pastor today if they kept that word? Pastor, I can't go to the pastor's breakfast this morning and give $50 for a plate of eggs and bacon for your 20th anniversary. I can't go there. I'm telling you, I've been to these things. I've been to my friend's anniversary dinners, and I'm like, I'm paying $50 for a plate of food to eat. What are we doing, man? What are we doing? Swindling people, drunkards, idolaters. The Bible says this should not be found in the church. That's why, let's just take a moment here before we close out. That's why a lot of these cults are doing much better than churches. You look at the black Hebrew Israelites right now in the black community, they are exploding. Why? Because they're getting all this stuff out. Even though I don't agree with them, man, they are calling that mess out, and they're getting it. Same thing when you look at the Jehovah Witnesses, man. They make you keep a time card for how much you evangelize. How many have ever seen sweet Iguelas walking down here with their briefcases? How many have seen them? I don't mean to put anybody out here, but they're older than every single person in here. I see these grandmas walking down with their briefcases on Saturday and Sundays. How many know what I'm talking about? You know why they're doing that? Because that's what they have to do to go to the kingdom. Now, I believe you can still go to the kingdom even if you're lazy. You're not going to go there with a lot of rewards. But if you love Jesus, he'll be gracious as long as you had the gospel right. But we got too many lazy Christians in the church thinking, well, just because I'm going to heaven, I don't have to work for Jesus. You wouldn't get away with that from your boss. And going back to the notes quickly and closing, notice this. Your family, your church, and your calling. Everybody say this with me. Faithful to my family, to my church, and to my calling. I put the family there first. 
Because before God ever gave them a religious duty in the Garden of Eden, he gave them a be fruitful and multiply duty. Hallelujah. How many know that comes first? Thank you, Jesus. I get too excited when I think about it. Some of you single folks, God's going to bless you. Don't worry about it. It's coming. I speak it over you in the name of Jesus. But I'm thankful he gave that to us first. But notice this. You bring your family to church. You raise them in the things of God. And then you're calling. You don't give up on. I'm thinking about people who look good on the outside, but they don't keep their calling. They're missing what God has for them. I guarantee you right now, if I took you down to, I believe it's the Honda dealership of New Orleans. If I took you to that dealership and I introduced you to this one gentleman, he would probably knock your socks off. He would probably be the best car salesman you have ever met. I'm talking like he'll tell you the truth. He's not going to be dishonest. He's going to be there with you from start to finish. He'll make sure you get the right car. He's going to stay in your budget. He's going to keep track with you after you get the car. Everybody say a good salesman. But you're not going to realize he cheated on his wife, committed an affair, and got out the ministry. And that's what he gives his time and attention to now. You could be the greatest car salesman. That's amazing. That's a great thing to do. If that's what you were called to do, this man was called to stand behind the pulpit, though. This man was called to be, you could be both, obviously, but I'm saying for him, he was called to preach and be around the nation. He had a hip-hop rap ministry. He was amazing. He was getting called to go everywhere to preach, to minister to young people. He even came to this church. And if you see him now, you're going to look at him and you're going to think, man, you're amazing. But you wouldn't know he gave up his calling. I bet that David, before he had the affair with Bathsheba, looked just like the king he was the day he killed Goliath and all those other days. You probably wouldn't have noticed any difference when you saw David when he was supposed to be at battle, but yet he was at the top of a balcony looking at a naked woman bathing. I guarantee you if you would have saw him on the outside, he would have looked like he was still a man after God's own heart. But what was he doing on the inside? Forsaking his calling. When I saw that gentleman at volleyball, he looked good. He didn't look like a nice young man taking care of his wife and kids, father cheering them on. He looked great. Yeah, everyone here, you would say, I'm so happy for so-and-so. You're doing great. But where's your calling, man of God, woman of God? Where, where's your calling? You see, people, we lay it down too quickly for convenience. The Bible wants us to be faithful. I don't say this to brag or boast, but I'm just going to tell you how it is for me. When this thing happened, when I tore my Achilles tendon, thank God I'm out the boot now. It's a new year. I'm out the boot. Praise God. I'm going to go to dancing in just a little bit. I have a song I'm going to come on when I can dance. It's going to be weird, but you guys are going to have to get along with it because I'm coming out to a song and I'm going to dance. I was almost going to do it today, but I was like, if I came out to it today, I would do it wrong. So I'm going to do it right, and you hold me to it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a worship song from Africa, and it is powerful. I listened to it, and I got it in the car. I got it in the car like this, but I need, I need to have the stomp. when I eat. Oh, I almost got it right now. Mm. Okay, so 
they said after, because of course the only time they could do the surgery was Friday. Had to come over the weekend. Like if it's ever going to snow, it's always going to be a Saturday or Sunday morning. You all know this, right? Everything that you can possibly have coming to your schedule will happen. Right now, put in your schedule Lollapalooza 2024, okay? Because I can guarantee you that weekend, your cousin's going to be graduating. Your auntie's going to be having her third marriage. Your grandma's going to need you to do some work around the house. Your tummy's going to be upset. Put it in the calendar right now and put a fist there and say, Devil, everything you throw at me, I'm going to knock down in Jesus' name, okay? Okay, so I, I get the surgery Friday, and then this is what they tell me. They say that stuff that we gave you is going to wear off, so just keep pumping yourself full of pills so you can just ride on easy lane when this thing happens, when, it, when, when the numbness goes away. And I used to do a lot of drugs, so I'm like, no, no, thank you. I'm not going to be popping pills right now. No offense to those who do. I mean, that should be, you know, not an addiction to be if you do that right. But I'm just like, I'm going to feel it before I take it. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm just going to be careful, okay? Guess when I started to feel it? Saturday night. <laughs> That I'm being on it 24 hours after that surgery. I wake up in the middle of the night, and man, it feels like somebody cut open my leg and stitched some stuff together. That's what it feels like. It's exactly what they did. So I take some Advil, and I'm like, okay, Advil, get me through. Advil's not working. I'm driving here, and I'm making the calls, and I'm saying, okay, I'm going to take the hard stuff now. I'm going to take half of the littlest stuff they gave me, and I'm going, to, I'm going to take it. Some of you heard this story, but please be patient. So I said, I'm just going to take a little bit as I'm talking to Lauren. And I said, you got preachers ready? She's like, yep, we got Rudy. We got this one. We're all good. Lawrence and Rudy, we're good. But there's a dog in me. There's, there's a lion in me, I should say. Not the dog, but a lion. That's not how I roll. You see, other people, that's, that, that, that may be you. I planned it. Like my wife, she would have planned in advance. Once she knew the surgery was Friday, she would have known I'm not preaching Sunday. I'm going to have this and that. That's my wife. But for me, I play it last minute, and I got that lion in me, man. So I'm popping that pill, and I'm like, I'm not calling it right now. I am not calling it. I'm going to get to the church, and I'm going to decide at that moment how I feel. And when I got to the church, I said, let them know. I'm going to preach that first service. And if I can hang in, I'm going to preach that second service. And some of y'all didn't even know other than that little bit that I told you, right? Because that pain medicine started kicking in. You say, what, what, what does that matter? Because I'm faithful to my calling. This is how I feel about it. I'm being honest with you. I feel this is what I feel. Somebody say it's what he feels. I feel if I ever give the devil an inch, he's going to kick me back a whole yard, a whole football field, a whole mile. He's going to kick me across all the way down the road. Why? Because he's, he's going to know now he don't trust God anymore. I came in by faith. I stay by faith. I'm going out by faith. If it's never of faith, I'm not doing it. The Bible says what is not of faith is sin. I knew that. You know how far deep that's gone in my life? God told me at one point, I don't ever want you to take a Sunday off. I heard one big name preacher say, we're going on a cruise. Who wants to come? Minister's conference. Sounds kind of fun, to be honest with you. But this is what he said, because everybody needs a vacation from church. Oh, no, you lost me there. I need to go on vacation so I can do more church. Now, some people might say, what do you mean churchy things? No, I'm not talking about churchy things. I'm talking about what church actually is, worship, prayer, body of Christ. Why would I ever stop that? 
I don't need a vacation from that. Maybe from actually leading, I should sit down. Maybe, you know, let others do. I get that. But, but he was like, we need a vacation from church. So I almost got this idea of like ministers on Sunday waking up, having their little margarita or whatever, and being like, I'm glad I'm taking a vacation from church. You know what their, their churches should say back to them? Take a permanent one. You're fired. We're going to get somebody else who likes church. God told me, don't travel unless you preach. You want to talk about the hardship that put on my wife? My wife's like, well, we can only go here for this time, this time, unless we find a place for you to preach. But God always opened doors. And here's what we would say to those pastors in this area that we would go to in vacation, whatever. I would say this. I don't require any money. I don't, I don't even have to preach the whole sermon. This is just what God told me. Every Sunday, I got to be doing this for the Lord. I'll do it for free. I'll do it on any subject you want me to do it on. Because you know what? God said, I've been so good to you. I want you to keep telling my goodness everywhere you go. See, for me, being God's newsboy, his announcer, is not a burden to me. And every place my wife and I went, we got to preach the gospel all across the country. And I'm so thankful for that. But that was the conviction. See, I'm just being real honest with you. Some of you, you lay down your calling like you don't even think about it. And here you've got someone like me that's been preaching all these sermons. Don't you think I could have taken one off? No one even would have judged me. And yet you got the Lord telling me, well, if you give up now, why not next week? Why not next week? You know? So some of you are supposed to be in the youth ministry, but you stop because it got inconvenient. Some of you are supposed to join your Bible study and start helping out, but you stopped because it was inconvenient. I'm asking you to go back to being faithful. I'm asking you to look at the ministry list that we have here. You can't do them all, but you can do some. And to start figuring out where has God called you and not light, letting up, not lightening up, go deep into the things of God. Because I believe this year God's going to do more in 2024 than we've ever seen before as we seek his kingdom. Amen. Can we bless him as we stand up today? Thank you, church. How many are glad to be in church today? Amen. This is.